ask you to take God's Word in your hands and turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2. We're in a series that we've entitled I Church, uh, trying to connect the believer uh, to the greater body of Christ, especially when it comes to the relationship with the local church. And we've been focusing our time uh, on the passage of Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47, a very well-known passage of Scripture, a microcosm of what uh, the first century uh, church uh, did at its inception on the day of Pentecost. And uh, we focused in on uh, some of the characteristics like community, talking about that, and also worship. And today we want to talk about the issue of spiritual growth and how spiritual growth was a key component of, of what made that church what it was and what it still is uh, today. I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word, as is our tradition, uh, to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and then we'll get into our time of study this morning. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, just as a way of, of reference, I want you to look here because all of us desire, I would hope, here at Village Bible Church, that the Lord would add to our number daily those who are being saved, that we would be able to praise God and enjoy the favor of all the people, that we'd be able to break bread in our homes and together uh, have glad and sincere hearts, that we would be able to, uh, as the Lord gives opportunity, to give of our possessions and our goods to those in need, that we'd be able to have everything in common, that we would be filled with awe and wonders and miraculous signs would be done, and that we would enjoy the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All of that, brothers and sisters, is contingent. And I want us just to go back to the opening words of this passage. All of them are contingent on what these people did. And that was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And again, Lord, we look at this passage of Scripture as a way of understanding how we ought to model this church. How we ought to model our own lives after. And so, Lord, I pray that we would look at this model... And we would see that this was not done by a group of super saints, Lord, but it was done by a group of frail, broken, dysfunctional people who got excited about their walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, they devoted themselves to the right things. And so, Lord, in the 21st century, we are a frail, we are a dysfunctional, we are a broken people. And yet the truth and the medicine that worked in the first century is the truth and medicine that works today. And that is a steady diet uh, of God's word being taught to us. Lord, I pray that that would be a characteristic within this church. I pray that it would be a characteristic in our own lives, that we would be a people who are on fire to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we may present, as the Scripture says, every man and woman complete in Christ because you are the one that we find completeness. And because of that, Lord, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in your Son's precious name we pray this. Amen and amen. You may be seated. For some of you who, uh, of course, saw me grow up here at uh, Village Bible Church as a kid, you know one of the phrases that was shared over and over again with a growing uh, Tim Bedall was, Tim, it's time to grow up. I didn't hear that once or twice, but that was a broken record that my parents, in fact, my, my dad would say over and over again, Tim, when are you going to grow up? And before you think my father was an overbearing man, you didn't know me as a kid. Immaturity was a key characteristic in my life. I struggled with knowing when to say the right things, when I was supposed to act a certain way, and because of that, it became a great detriment to my growing up experience. I missed out on tons of opportunities, great opportunities uh, of fun, great opportunities for real growth, because I was unable to prove a real level of maturity throughout my teenage years. And it would take some real time. In fact, it would, it would take me all the way into my early 20s before maturity would really become something that I would really long to have and through God's help be able to get. Now, maturity is something that we all love and desire. 
It's not hard for us to see that, of course, as a parent of three boys that are growing. Well, I wish my boys would all stay young and, and cute and all of that. As a father, what I've come to love is that my children, I love every age that they're at. Right when I think I enjoyed the age uh, that we were at a year ago, uh, then the new age comes and the, and the new opportunities and the new growth patterns come. And, and I've just loved every second of watching my children grow and that's how we are. We love to see growth take place. We love to see growth uh, within our families. We love to see growth within our gardens. We love to see growth within a, a local body of believers. But one thing that we many times forget about is the growth of us spiritually. Now, uh, I have a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. And while the diaper days were cute, okay, and while they were fun and, and it was a new experience, if my nine-year-old was still using diapers, I wouldn't be all that happy. That would be a real problem. I would tell my son, hey, it's time uh, to grow up. It's time to move on from those things. Uh, if my uh, teenage child was uh, sucking their thumb, I would say we've got a problem. If they were going to school with their blankie and saying, well, I need this to get through algebra class, it wouldn't be very cute because while immaturity for a season is okay, we as Christians especially must long, must pursue for spiritual growth. But here's the problem. Many of us as Christians today think it's okay for us uh, spiritually speaking, to have our thumbs in our mouth, to have diapers on our bottoms and our blanket behind us, and we think it's okay that we just live life that way. And our response is very sanctimonious. It's a response like this, well, I only have a childlike faith. I, I, I don't need to know all the deep things of God. I will leave that to my pastor and my elders and to my small group leaders, but I just have a childlike faith. I love Jesus, he loves me, and that's it. Brothers and sisters, that is not what we see in the New Testament. And so we come to Acts chapter 2. And we see this exponential growth. Think about again for a moment. You, you, you come uh, last Sunday and there's 120 of us in the room. That's a nice size group. You can know everybody and everything. And then you come back this Sunday and we got 3,120. Think of the dynamic that was taking place. 3,000 people had been added to their number. Exponential growth. They had repented of their sins, Acts chapter 2, 38 tells us. They had gone into the waters of baptism, uh, making their declaration that they're followers of Jesus Christ. And now they come out, and our response is, is they come out as these fully uh, devoted followers of Jesus Christ who have everything all lined up. They know what they're supposed to do. They know where they're supposed to go. And as a result of that, these super saints in Acts chapter 2 experience this great church experience and they changed the world by the turn of the first century, where the Christian movement is something that will take the world by storm. But brothers and sisters, if we extrapolate uh, those people from this passage of Scripture, then we will make them to be something they're not. They were broken. They were frailed. They were a flawed people, as I prayed already. They were people that were messed up. They were changed by the, uh, by the words and the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ. They identified themselves as Christians, and the first thing they did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What they did was they knew they had to learn. It wasn't good enough for them to be babes in Christ, and so they devoted themselves implicit within that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, are hours upon hours, days upon days of them studying the life of Christ, understanding and knowing what God wanted for them. And it was because of that devotion to the things of God that they would be able to then, of course, reach the world with the cause of Jesus Christ. Christ. And so why would we change that? Why would we go away from that blueprint? But sadly in our world today, sadly not only in the lives of individuals, but in the lives of churches, many people have walked away from that. And the reason why is because we live in a consumeristic, we live in a competitive culture that says, of course, as we learned last week, that uh, we've got to be flashy. I like what Steve Lawson says, a pastor and writer. He says, in this new paradigm of ministry, that goes away from the model in Acts, biblical exposition has been replaced by entertainment, preaching with performances, doctrine with drama, theology with theatrics. The pulpit and the classroom, once a focal point of the church, is now being overshadowed by a variety of church growth techniques. 
Everything from trendy worship styles to glitzy presentations uh, and vaudeville-like pageantries are alive and well in the church today. In a desire to capture the upper hand in church growth and to find a whole new wave of seekers, pastors are reinventing church and repackaging the gospel into a product that can be sold to consumers. Now here at Village Bible Church, that's not our desire. Can I tell you that there's a great um, push for that, a great temptation to keep up with the Joneses and to make sure everything we do has flash and all of that? I gotta be honest with you, it, it, it is because it seems that those, those churches may be successful, but what we learn is long-term biblical success is built on a hearty and healthy diet of God's word being preached and proclaimed. And so we have to recognize that. We have to shun the things that are going to keep us from that focus, keep that from our desire. And we've got to go back and say, how did the people filled with the Holy Spirit do it in the book of Acts? Well, they did it by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, last week, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we talked about the issue of community. And we talked about as a church that community is not enough for us just to gather together as a group of people. But within our vision statement, we desire to be a family. And that community means that we are going to do all that we can to dig the depths of who we are with one another. We're going to have real relationships when it comes to our relationships with one another as we follow Christ. Now that sends us on a far different trajectory. I spent some time in Dallas with, with some of the up-and-coming church leaders of my generation. And there was 14 of us that were sitting together. And I was saddened over and over again to hear that the major focus of my peers in this small group of leaders was that their desire was just to get people into the pews, just to get people to be a part of an, an attraction, if you will, come and see what we're doing, and, and maybe something might stick. And so when, when I started talking about what Village Bible Church was about, I said the whole dynamic of who we are is we want to be a family. We want depth of relationships, and we don't want people just to come in and, and hear a sermon or, or see uh, a worship service. We want people to participate. We want people to be uh, owning what they're a part of. And so family is important, but I want you to notice that we're not just a family of people that just loves to get together, have some cool activities like the barn bash. We are a family, our vision statement says, of growing believers. And what that means is that it's not just good enough for us to be a family of Christians, but we added an adjective, and there was a reason for that 10 years ago when we put that vision statement together. We want to see Christians grow in their walk with Jesus Christ. It's not good enough for you to have been here a year and not to have seen your walk change. It's not good enough for us biologically or emotionally to say we are where we were a year ago and we haven't seen any growth. The success of this ministry is not based on the amount of people here on Sunday morning. It is based on where you have gone from yesterday to where you are today in Christ. The job of the elders is to oversee a ministry that shows and leads each and every one of you to be complete in Christ. The Bible says that we as elders will be accountable for the flock under our care. And it isn't just to make sure, well, did you make sure they were all taken care of, that you guys were good cruise directors on your, on your little journey together? No, the question that I'm going to be asked is, especially as the preacher and teacher of this church for this season, is, Tim, did you preach and teach the Word of God so that it could grow and change lives of the people who are listening? And so that's our goal, and that's our focus. And so the reason why everywhere you go in this church, the curriculum that we have is surrounding this book is because we believe that this is the only book that will change people's lives. It will take people, and it will get through all of their garbage and all of our issues and all of our struggles, and it is the only thing because it is the Word of God that will change the lives and make it what Christ wants it to be. And so we've got to get there. And so there's a couple things I want to explore this morning. The first thing I want you to see is as we look at Acts chapter 2, we see that number one, spiritual growth is the goal. Spiritual growth is the goal. 
Now, we were called to be worshipers last week, and we talked about how worship had a huge part in the uh, early church. And we talked about all the different components, how they gathered around the table, how they celebrated things like baptism, how they spent time praying together, and we addressed all of those different issues. But if those things are done, apart from the teaching and proclamation of God's Word, we're going to forget why we do those things. If we don't have the teaching and preaching of God's word, if they did not have the apostles' teaching, then they would have long forgotten why they were worshiping the God whom they worshiped, why they were serving the God whom they served. And so we have these disciples, and they had to have been all excited. Think about it for a moment. For the last couple of weeks, they've kind of been just hanging out, waiting uh, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what that looked like. They weren't sure what that was going to involve. And then on a day, a Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, they're in the upper room, and everything just starts to really take off for them. Tongues of fire fall upon them, and they are filled in that room, 120 of them, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they've got to be pretty excited because this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. And then as a result of that, they enter into the streets of Jerusalem. And Peter gets up, and no longer is he uh, wandering around. No longer is he wondering his place with God. He stands up, and with boldness and clarity, he proclaims the word of God, and that Jesus Christ was crucified, he was dead, but that, Lord, that Jesus Christ who was dead now has been raised, and he is both Lord and Christ. And he calls all people to repentance and you know what happens? 3,000 of them say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. 3,000 say, yes, I want to live for him. And I wonder if the disciples said, you know, we've been here before. Don't you guys remember when Jesus was walking with us? Jesus was teaching by the seashore. And thousands of people came. Remember, they were all hungry. And we fed 5,000 of them. And Jesus, we remember those days with Jesus when the crowds would come. And so it wasn't enough. Nowhere do you see them stop and say, we've accomplished our job. We filled the seats. Everybody's accepted Jesus. Now our job is done. Notice that it continued on. And the reason why is they were following the model that their Lord and Savior had. Remember Jesus? They come back, the, the, all these followers of Jesus, 5,000 of them strong. They had had their bellies filled with loaves and fishes. And they come back and they're saying, hey, what's the next part of the show? Give us the next act, Jesus. And Jesus comes in John chapter 6. He says, you want to follow me? You're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And my goodness, you, you know, you see the 120 to 3,000. They went from 5,000 down to 12 in a matter of a couple minutes. People said, wait a minute. You're not going to have some fun and games. You're not going to have the theatrics. Jesus, you're not going to do what we want you to do. We're out of here. And so what, are the, what do the disciples do? They say, we've been here before. And what we're going to do is we're going to engage in real spiritual growth in the lives of these people. So it isn't just about getting them to accept something. It's about them growing them and making disciples. Now, Jesus had given them this charge in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Make learners teaching them. He says they got to be baptized, and then you're going to teach them all that I've commanded you uh, to do. And so they've been commanded to live out this spiritual growth because the goal was not a crowd. The goal wasn't a filled sanctuary. The goal was spiritual growth. But what does spiritual growth involve? I want to take a moment, a hiatus from Acts chapter 2 and go to Colossians 2 for a moment, okay? So turn to your right. If you're not familiar with the Bible, go through the book of Acts, the book of Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and you'll come to the book of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians, okay? Colossians chapter 2, written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul gives us some truths as to how we are to attain this goal, because this goal can be attained. And notice what it says in, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's stop there, and I want to devote this first point to this passage. How do we get to this goal? Well, first of all, this goal of spiritual growth begins with a decision. It begins with a decision. Write that in your outlines this morning. It begins in a decision, just as you have received Christ. Some people come to church because they want to reform the way that they do things. 
And so they've got a bad marriage and they say, well, the way we'll fix it is we'll go to church. Or our kids aren't responding the way we need to and so we'll take them and they will be reformed in Sunday school. Or I've got some issues and some troubles and so one way I can fix things is I'll go to church and church will be the answer. Brothers and sisters, church is not the answer. Jesus Christ is. If you come here just to fix things, you may fix some things, but what you won't fix is the issue that besets you back the farthest. What keeps you from true love, joy, peace, and contentment, and that is a personal and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand that at some point, Paul says if you want to grow in Jesus Christ, you got to be born first. The reason why my children are growing is at some point they were born at some point, human life was established within them, and as a result of that conception, they now are able to grow in the fullness of what God has for them. It's the same thing for us as Christians. At some point, you and I have to come to a point where we bow the knee to Jesus and we say, Jesus, without you, I can do nothing. Jesus, without you in my life, I'm a sinner in need of grace. Without you, Jesus, I'm on the road to destruction. And so growth begins by a decision of our wills to say, I no longer am going to live for self, but I'm going to live for you. Number two, notice it leads us in a certain direction. The text goes on. He says, just as you have received Christ. First, we've got to trust Christ as our Savior. You've got to take him as our own. But it says, now continue to live in him. So there's this living going on. One of the major reasons why we gather together is this very reason, exactly what Paul is saying. The reason why we gather and sing praises to the Lord, the reason why we gather and pray corporately, the reason why we gather in corporate fellowship, and then, of course, why we gather and sit under the teaching of God's Word is to be exhorted to continue to follow the ways of Jesus. And so my job... My job is to study all week, to get together and to be uh, the cheerleader of the group and say, don't give up. Don't give in. Now, I don't use pom-poms, thank goodness, for this. But I use the truth of God's word saying, I know the week has been hard. I know there's a lot of temptation. I know we want to give up on our lives. I know we want to give up on our marriages. I know we want to give up on our kids. I know that finances are tough. I know trial and tribulations are all about. But let us, and this is it, run the race with perseverance, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sitting down at the right hand of our God in heaven. And we do that so that you will leave empowered. You will leave strengthened. You will leave rooted so that you can go into another week and say, what can man do to me? I'm a more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And so that's what we're doing here. We're doing that by lifting high the name of Jesus and being reminded that God has a calling for each and every one of us. It involves some things. I want you to write these things down. Within this idea of continuing in him implies action. Some translations translated that this is a walk, to continue to walk in him. What that means is spiritual growth means that we live as Jesus did. We walk as Jesus did. We talk as Jesus did. We act as Jesus did. We live according to his principles. Couple, or just yesterday, my family went to a church anniversary celebration, the church that I grew up in before coming to Village Bible. And coming to a table of people, a woman's back was to me, and I was talking, and she said, is that Bill Bidall? Do I hear Bill Bidall? Is he here? I said, no, it's, it's Tim. It's not Bill. She says, you sounded just like your dad. I said, I did? She says, man, everything about you sounded just like your dad. Brothers and sisters, I have no desire. Please don't put that on the tape. But I have no desire to be my dad. I'm Tim. I'm not Bill. My dad's a great man, and I love him. But I'm my own person. But I've hung around my dad all my life. I've watched him. I followed in his footsteps, and little do I know that my voice because it's the voice that I learned how to talk from, both my mom and dad. I'm glad I took my dad's voice and my mom's. 
but I'm imitating him without even knowing it. Brothers and sisters, spiritual growth is a continual, progressive walk with Christ that when people hear us talk, when they see us live, when they watch us walk, they say, is that Jesus? That looks a lot like Jesus. I know it's Tim, but boy, he looks a lot like his Savior. And if our people around us can't do that, if they can't see Jesus in us, then the growth hasn't taken place. And we've got to get serious about our walk with Christ because if we're not living that way, then we're failing in our job as being salt and light. Notice, second, it's a progress. It's progress. As we continue in Christ, there should be a progression that we're seeing. We should see that the things that affected us, the sins and temptations that affected us a year ago, no longer are affecting us that way. I love my six-year-old son. He was talking with a kindergartner. He's in first grade, and he was talking with a kindergartner. And don't you ever love just eavesdropping on kids' conversations? So they're talking about what they're learning in school. And, and my first grader son says, that's what you're learning? That is baby stuff. We're learning big kid stuff in the first grade. My first grade son has grown enough to think that what was being taught in kindergarten now is baby stuff because he's grown to first grade. Now, without the attitude, brothers and sisters, we should be able to do the same thing, amen? We should be able to say, yeah, I learned that years ago, but I've moved on, the, the writer of Hebrews says, from the elementary truths about Christ to the mature things. I've moved from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. Not with, as my son did, with this glare of pride and, and, uh, and disdain for the young things, but to be able to say, I've seen growth, I've seen progression in my life. I'm not the same person I was a year ago. Notice the idea of continuing also involves something that is ongoing. Brothers and sisters, we never stop growing in Christ. Now I know some of us, especially in our, in our more advanced years, are saying, well, I'm a, I've grown to the height I'm going to grow. I'm no longer going to get any taller. I, I may get wider, and that's a whole other subject matter. But I, my growth has taken place. And I will tell you, one of the temptations for, for mature saints is to think that God's done with you. Let me tell you right now that until you see Jesus Christ face to face, God has called you to grow in him. And so don't ever think, well, I've heard this sermon before, or this is good for the young people, or this is good for the young parents or the teenagers. No, God's word is applicable to every one of us, no matter what age we are, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus. It's something we need each and every day. The final thing that I want you to notice is that this idea of continuing to walk in him means we will live in him. The idea here is that it will affect all facets of our lives. And so if you have this idea that this is taking care of my Sunday life, then you've got another thing coming. The Christian walk is every day. The Christian, Christian walk involves every component of our lives. It does not just address one set of issues. It addresses every issue. And it will, we have to, in our lives, reflect the radiance of Christ in every moment of every day. And so we've got to preach and teach God's Word. Now notice, it leads us to a specific description. What's going to happen in the life, Paul says? When those men and women devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Paul later is talking to those same group of people. And he says, notice what will happen when you receive Christ and continue to live in him, you'll be rooted and built up in him. You'll be strengthened in the faith as you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I want you to see a couple metaphors that he gives. What are we going to look like when we've grown up in Christ? Number one, he says, we'll be like a tree, rooted in Christ. Now here's the thing. When we look at trees, we look and we say the, the depth of the tree, the greatness of the tree, is seen in what we see. The limbs and the leaves. But brothers and sisters, the Christian life, just as the tree is, is not found. Its basis and success and greatness is not found on what is seen by the human eye, but what is underneath. And so we can look and we can see the branches and we can see the leaves, but the real question within a tree is what is the root system like? 
How deep are the roots? Well, the only way you'll know the depth of the roots is when two situations come. Number one, when the storms of life come. And so you want to know how strong your tree is in your backyard? Watch the wind and watch it blow and watch those roots hold it into the ground. And so the storms come and they bombard that tree and they throw everything that they can at it and that tree stays secure. Oh, it may bend and it may move, but it is able to stay secure. And so spiritual growth, you want to know how spiritually strong you are? It isn't by your branches. It isn't by your leaves. It is by the root system that holds you secure in the love of Jesus Christ. And so the storms come and the winds blow. Brothers and sisters, I was challenged by my own spiritual growth when my father looked at his son's lifeless body and said, God gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And I sat there and said, my goodness, what else can be thrown at a human being than the taking of his own son? And when my dad stood secure in that, I said, that's the kind of faith that I want. I want that amidst the storms. The second area that it comes is a tree is seen and its vitality is seen in times of great drought. And the root system is going to show you that. How deep is it going to find the waters? It's not easy to live as a Christian. It's not always easy to live the life that Christ has called us to. And there are droughts in our lives, and the spiritually mature individual is digging deep to find the water it needs to live. It doesn't become frail, it doesn't fall over, but it digs deep to find the water it needs even in times of great drought. So you wanna know if you're spiritually mature in Christ? It isn't the ability to uh, recite facts or even recite Bible verses. Anybody can do that, a parrot can do that. But what it is is how is it dealing with the trials and tribulations of life? How is it growing even amidst dry seasons of time? Now notice Paul moves from the natural world to what I would say is the agricultural, I'm sorry, the uh, architectural world. It goes from the ag to the architectural. And it says that we are to be built up. And so Paul gives yet another metaphor. And it's a metaphor about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Structures were built in Paul's day. And they were built just as they are today in the skyscrapers of Chicago. And one thing we know is that the skyscrapers of Chicago, just as they were in Paul's day, were not built in one day. But they were built floor by floor, brick by brick, structure, uh, portion by portion, that one day we could look and say, wow, look at that Willis Tower in Chicago. It's magnificent. It's amazing. But it did not get built overnight. In fact, it took multiple years of thousands of people building point by point within it. Now, what's the application here? Paul is telling us that if we're going to be built up in the Lord, it's going to start one brick at a time. And some of us are wanting the superstructure. We want to be spiritually the Willis Tower or the Hancock building of the buildings of Chicago. But what it takes is day in and day out, us giving ourselves unto the Lord, opening God's word, and we'll get there. I could never have imagined, please hear me, I could never imagine that I would be where I'm at today standing before you. I, are you kidding me? I still pinch myself sometimes and say, are you, are you amazed? I am amazed because at, at about 22 years of age, I was asked to, to uh, teach a young married Sunday school class. Anytime anybody ever told me at that age to share something about the Lord, I just shared my testimony. That's all I had. All I knew was I was saved. And the pastor of this church said, hey, we need a teacher for a young married Sunday school class, and I think it'd be really good for you to teach the book of James. I couldn't recite a word from the book of James. And so I got down, and I sat in that week, and I'll never forget, because it was a week that transformed my life. I had to teach that next Sunday for those couple people that were dumb enough to be in my class, okay? And I opened the book of James, and I'll never forget, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the first time, I stopped and I said, what in the world does that mean? Who's James? What does it mean to be a servant of God? What does it mean to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations? And I was changed by a prelude in the book of James. 
because for the first time I studied God's word and, and what I remember was what Awana had taught me to study to show oneself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed because he's rightly dividing the word of truth. And for the first time God's word became alive to me and brothers and sisters, I've never been the same. When we open God's word, there'll be small steps but they will be steps that will build us up in the most holy faith. Notice in the next thing that he says as he moves, okay, I didn't know this, but man, it's great when alliteration happens. He moves from the agricultural to the architectural, and I just came up with this extra credit for you, to the athletic. He says you want to be strengthened in the faith. And what that means is it's going to take discipline. We'll talk about that in a couple moments, but it is going to mean constant training and work. And so some of you, brothers and sisters, love to run those long races, marathons, 5Ks, all of those things. And you're so excited about it that when you do it, and rightly so, you put your numbers on the back window, okay? Where is the 4,000 calories in a, in a meal sticker for your back window of your car? I just consumed 4,000 calories, and I'm still living to tell you about it. Here's my bumper sticker, okay? But you who run marathons... Run marathons, you don't wake up in October and say, you know, I think today I'm going to run the Chicago Marathon. Sounds like a good idea. If you do that, you need to get your head fixed, okay? But what you do is you set a goal, and the goal is, is I want to in October to go to Chicago, and I want to run the Chicago Marathon. And so what that's going to mean is I'm going to start running a mile at a time, and you start with one mile, and then two, then five, and then 10, and then 13, and then, and then 16, and then 19. And each and every day, you're increasing your endurance. Brothers and sisters, the Christian walk is a marathon. And if we're going to be able to run it, it means each and every day getting out of our bed and running a little farther than we did the day before. And so how do we do that in the Christian life? Going to God's Word and opening it and strengthening ourselves a little more than we did before. So how do we get there? We've seen what the spiritual goal is, and I know you guys get nervous about my first points. They're always the longest. But notice point number two. It brings us back to Acts 2. How do we get point number one? God's Word has to be our guide. And so go back to Acts 2 for a moment. So what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now there's no book called the apostles' teaching, okay? It wasn't like they said, okay, the apostles' teaching is this book of, of uh, great stories and thoughts and sermons that the apostles had put together. And so what was the apostles' teaching? Well, in a nutshell, the apostles' teaching were the words of the apostles about Jesus Christ used to transform lives. So what do we see with regards to that? Acts chapter 2 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what was the apostles' teaching? First of all, we see the apostles' teaching was rooted in Scripture. It was rooted in Scripture. In the first four opening chapters of the book of Acts, we see a mention of teaching or preaching 14 times. Greater than that of fellowship, greater than that of worship, greater than that of any of the other characteristics of the church, the church was known as a preaching and teaching community. Teaching to the believer is what milk is to the baby, a staple for growth. And so they taught in the temples, they taught in the courtyards, they taught in the confines of a home, they taught in the morning, they taught at night, they taught on the weekends, they taught all throughout the week. They taught any time they could. And what did they teach? They taught the Word of God. Now, did they have the 66 books of the canon that we do today? No. But what they did have was the 39 books of the Old Testament. And I want you to see just for a moment, and you can get some homework today, because we don't have time to go through it all. But notice in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and preaches a message. Does he just get up and, and just put together some positive thoughts about life and some nice little anecdotes about how to live? No, brothers and sisters, notice in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, he says, No. This was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he proclaims what the prophet Joel said. What does he say? Brothers and sisters, on that day of Pentecost, what 
Peter did was the same thing that I'm doing this morning. He took the word and he said, let's open our Bibles to the book of Joel and let's see what the prophet Joel has to say. And then he goes from the prophet Joel and notice in verse 34, he says, by the way, it wasn't Joel who just said this, but in the Old Testament, in our scriptures, it said that David said some things about this. And so it says, David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. And then he applied the word of God. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God made this Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. It's not the only time he does it. Notice in chapter uh, 3, verse 18. Turn a page for a moment. Now, brothers, I don't want you to act in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets saying that his Christ would suffer. Peter goes on in chapter 3 and verse 24. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your father uh, that he said to Abraham. And he goes on over and over and over again what the apostles taught was the 39 books of the Old Testament. They taught the scriptures. Notice chapter 7 for a moment. Acts chapter 7. Stephen is giving his great message before the Sanhedrin. And in the 53 verses that he shares, there are more than 13 references of Old Testament scriptures. And I'll just give you that as homework to look that over and see how he takes the Word of God contained in the Old Testament scriptures and he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. No church and no person will ever grow in Christ without the teaching of God's Word. And so the reason why we dedicate half of our worship service to the proclamation of God's Word is because it is designed to change and transform lives. But notice, it wasn't just a message about the law and prophets. It was riveted on Christ Jesus. You see, what, the reason why Jesus had begotten, gotten such a following, remember, people hear him preach, and they say, we've never heard anyone preach or teach like this before. The reason why was back in the day, the rabbis would talk about the law, they would never preach the law. What I mean by that is it's easy for us to talk about God, but not to talk about God. Does that make sense? We see a lot of that on our television, where people will talk positive and encouraging things about God, but they never tell us who God is and what he's all about. And so they use the Bible kind of as a, as a springboard to greater things to talk about. That's not what the apostles did. That's not what Jesus did. They took people to the Word. They proclaimed the message. And I want you to know that while they proclaimed the law and the prophets, they did so centered on Christ Jesus. And so here's what they did. When they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostles would say over and over again, let us tell you what Jesus told us. Let us tell you about what Jesus did. Let us tell you about how Jesus responded. Let us tell you how Jesus wanted us to live our lives. When I was uh, 18 or 19 years of age, I, I almost lost a friend because all I could talk about was this girl named Amanda. And so you say, it's a beautiful sunny day today. And I'd say, Brian, you know what else is beautiful and sunny? Amanda. And he would say, wow, that was a powerful thunderstorm, wasn't it? I'd say, you know what else is powerful? Love. Love is a powerful thing. And my friend Brian would say, enough already. I'm tired of hearing about Amanda. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, people should get tired of hearing us talk about Jesus. They should say, is that all you're going to talk about? Is Jesus it? Now, I don't mean we need to ram that down people's throats. But people should see that we are absolutely and positively fallen in love with Jesus Christ. I think that's what the disciples were doing over and over and over again, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. One commentary said this, the apostles' teaching was this in a nutshell, the proclamation of Jesus' life and His deity, His discourses and parables, His promises and conversations, His invitations and denunciations, His death his resurrection, his ascension, and his enthronement. And when they were done proclaiming all that, all they did was worship. That's what we are to be all about. They were fixated. 
And they were fixated to the point that when Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 stand before the Sanhedrin, the only response that the Sanhedrin has is, surely these men walked with Jesus. That we would saturate our lives with the life and the, and the teachings of Jesus Christ, that when people would see us, whether they agree with us or not, they would say, these men have walked with Jesus. Now, I want you to notice it revealed life instruction. Good doctrine, good teaching will always lead to application. And so you look at the New Testament and the writers, these apostles who wrote their words for us, who shared their gospels, who wrote letters, were chalked full of not only who Jesus is and not only how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets in every way, not only that Jesus was our Lord and Savior, but then they would spend good portions of their letter, good portions of their time saying this is how Christians ought to live. So husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Employees, be good employees to your employers. When you have issues and struggles, this is how you deal with them. When there's trouble in the church, this is where you're to turn. When there's false teaching, this is what we ought to believe. And over and over and over again, the Bible lays forth everything the Scripture says that we need for life and godliness. And so we need to pursue that. We need to go after it with all our hearts. So that leaves us with one final thing, and that is discipleship is the game plan. How are we to live out spiritual growth in our lives? We're to make disciples. Not only disciples of ourselves, but disciples of our children, disciples of the people sitting next to us, the dis making disciples in our small groups. And what that's going to involve is three very quick things. Number one, it has to be desired by hungry hearts. If we want to be an Acts 2 church, then you and I must in one accord say that we are going to devote ourselves to be people of the Word of God. And if we're not devoted to that, well, then we can kiss goodbye any spiritual growth that we're going to have. We may have a fun group of people. We may have some wonderful little sermonettes going on, and we may have wonderful music for our little gatherings, but we will never grow brothers and sisters in the cause of Christ. And so we have to intensely desire it. That's what devoted means. They were intensely desiring for Jesus Christ to speak to them and to do so through his word. We got to want it. Number two, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take discipline. Can I tell you something? One thing that I've, I, I have learned as a young pastor is a word that I heard from John MacArthur so many years ago. And he said this, the greatest gift that any preacher, spiritual gift that any preacher needs is the ability to sit in the chair until the sermon is done. That's the thing. He doesn't say anything more. You've got to be a good speaker. You've got to sit in the chair until the sermon is done. And can I tell you something? There's a whole lot of times where I love to preach and proclaim the Word of God that I see all and I hear all the fun things you guys are doing. And then I'm sitting in my office working on that sermon, and I'm sitting there going, man, I, I, I wanted to go to that movie. Man, I wanted to see the White Sox lose another ball game in late September. Okay, I wish I could be there. I wish I could do it. But God says, hey, if you're going to be the proclaimer of God's truth, you've got to sit in the chair until the sermon is done. Brothers and sisters, it's not true of just your preacher. But the walk of Jesus Christ is a walk of discipline. And there are days that you're not going to want to love Jesus like he's called you to. There are going to be days that you're not going to want to love your spouse. There are days you're not going to want to love your children. There are days you're not going to want to be the best employee. There are going to be days where you wish you could just say, hey, can I have a time out for a moment? Can I just not be a Christian just for a couple minutes? Because the walk of Christ is hard. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And it's going to take discipline. And it's going to take hard work. And Jesus says, keep your eye on me. Aren't you glad I didn't stop at the Calvary and say, you know what? <laughs> that cross is too hard. That cross is too difficult. You know, I'll let those people fend for themselves. Because the last thing I want to do is be hung on a cross and be forsaken by my Father. So you know what? I'm not going to do it. That's why Jesus says, put your eyes on me. 
Get your eyes on me. Study my word and see that I have done it. And if I have done it, then you can do it. And so, brothers and sisters, while it should be our desire, there are times where spiritual growth will not be our desire, and it is time we tie those shoelaces up and we get out and we run the race with perseverance. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. And aren't you glad that Jesus marked the road for us? Aren't you glad he did it and said, you can do it as well? The final thing that we see this morning, and I'll close with this, is that this is what will develop a healthy church. So goes the pulpit, so goes the church. You don't have good, solid teaching. What I mean by the pulpit is not just this. This is not a piece of furniture. This symbolizes the teaching ministry of our church. And if we're not teaching our young children, we won't be a healthy church. If we're not teaching our students what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ, we won't be a healthy church. If we're not teaching in our small groups and our ladies and men's Bible studies, we won't be a healthy church. And so a healthy church is filled and, and founded on the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And so that's what we need to pursue. And that's what we need to hunger for. And we will only be as strong as the weakest individual in our midst. So our job, the elders' job and the teachers' jobs of this church is to present everybody, everybody, everybody complete in Christ. So maybe you find yourself this morning struggling. Maybe you find yourself finding, uh, falling to all kinds of temptation and sin. The reason why we are a community is we gather one another up and we help those who are hurting. We say, you're struggling, that's okay. But God wants to make you better than what you are right now. God wants you to make wiser and, and, and smarter and more spiritual decisions than you're making. We want to carry you across the finish line. We want to help you finish the race. And we're going to do so by exhorting you with the teaching and preaching of God's Word. We're going to tell you what God's Word has to say. And when we do that, let me just close with this thought. When we do that, we'll live out what Acts 2 said. Because it was there that they had energized fellowship. It was there that they had elevated worship. It was there that they had empowered prayers and enriched service, expanded joy, and inflamed evangelism that within the next couple years of their time on the day of Pentecost, they would change the world for Christ. That's our goal. That's our aim. And through the proclamation of God's word, I believe we can get there. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It is to guide us. It is to mold us. It is to shape us to be that which we are not on our own. Lord, I can't do it on my own. My friends can't do it on their own. And we need God's word to change us. Your word is living and active and able to cut through all of our garbage and nonsense. But Lord, we've got to want it. And we've got to allow you to do your work in us. We've got to enable uh, our lives to be positioned in such a way that you, the great surgeon, can begin to do its great work and undertaking of changing a life and taking a sinner and making them a son and daughter of the Most High. And so, Lord, I pray for these people. And I pray as one of them that we would allow your spirit to change us and that we would allow ourselves to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is our goal that is our desire. And Lord, we don't just want it for us as an individual, but we want it as a church so that when the world sees us, they may know we're all about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to see you magnified. We want to see you high and lifted up. And Lord, that means that we must be people who are transformed each and every day through the renewing of our minds through your word. Give us the strength to do it. Lord, we're going to enter into a world now that tells us it's all right to be immature. It's all right uh, to uh, live as, as little babies just wanting and desiring whatever we want and desire. But Lord, we know you've called us to far more. You've called us to leave those elementary things and move on to things of growth. And so, Lord, give us the ability to do so. Lord, be with us this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.